Thank you, Lockie. How much did that just cost me for that introduction? I don't want to know. Band, you can grab a chair. Thank you so much. That was good. Can we give the band a round of applause? They did an awesome job this morning. I love it when God shows up in worship because who knows it sets the atmosphere for what's about to happen later on as well. And I really feel God's presence is here with us this morning. And before we go any further, I've got a tiny little bit of housekeeping to do. If your registration is FS, sorry, SFG742, you've left your lights on. We're not going to look at who you are, but you go do what you got to do. So as Lockie said, my name is Jordan. <laughs> Wait, is that Micah? Oh, no. Give him a round of applause. Is that Russ? Oh, you're the man, Russ. <laughs> I tried to make that as subtle and not obvious as possible, so you know what you're in for for the next 30 minutes of your life. So it's great to be here with all of you this morning. Last week, both myself and Talisha were over at our East Campus, and God's doing huge things over there. I was surprised when we walked into the room, the presence of God and the feel in that whole room as well. It was about 20 people there last week, and the way they all loved each other, interact with each other, I sat there and thought, this is a profound thing. But it felt like here as well. And it reinforced to me that we're not two separate churches. We're one church. The same heartbeat that is here at North is the same heartbeat that's over East. And I had the privilege to preach for them last week. So we're about 10 minutes away from East. We're driving, I'm driving. And I look at Talisha and said, hey, honey, do you mind getting the iPad and just downloading my sermon notes for me? So we're ready to go and we get there. So Talisha looks at me and she goes, there's no email. I said, what do you mean there's no email? She goes, she repeats a little bit slower for me this time and goes, there's no email. And then it dawned on me that I'd forgotten to send my sermon notes through the night before. So if I told you I was calm, cool and collected in that moment, I would be straight up lying to you. Talisha saw a side of me she hasn't seen in a while because I thought, Lord, how can I forget my sermon notes? But this is how amazing my wife is. We got there at 8.25. I walked into the prayer meeting. Talisha hopped back into the car Drove all the way back to our house at Mernus. We'd just driven from Mernus to the Box Hill, went back and sent my notes to me. By the, so by the time I got on stage to preach, I had my notes. So can we give my wife a massive round of applause? <laughs> I took that as a bit of a learning moment, as all parents in the room would say. So what I've done this week, ladies and gentlemen, I have not only printed my notes, but I have put all my sermons now in the clouds. So that never happens again. And once again, this is not my rose gold iPad. It's my wife. But I could pull it off if I had to. You all know it's true. So it may be hard for some of you to believe this morning, but I am turning 28 years old this year. I know I could feel it. Trust me. And I know I still can't grow a beard. Thanks, Dad. But that's fine. But I find myself as I get a little bit older and the weight of nostalgia falls on my ageing shoulders, I seem to be listening to the bands that I used to listen to in high school and I seem to be revisiting a lot of the movies that I thought were awesome when I was growing up and they're not, I'm going to be straight, looking at you Batman and Robin, anyway we're not going to go there. But I've been thinking about going wow I'm getting a little bit older and nostalgia's a thing, we've all heard of it yeah. And I thought, wow, what else did I used to do when I was little? And I started thinking about the TV shows that I grew up watching. And I remember watching them on one of these things right here. Who knows what that is on the screen? Give me a wave. Whoever just put your hand up, you're officially getting older with me, so we're friends, it's fine. For those young people in the room, that is a 14-inch NEC CRT TV. I remember getting home from school, 
turning on that bad boy, having to wait for the colours to warm up because it was old and watching the low-def goodness that was that 14-inch TV. And I looked him up and it probably cost mum and dad a lot of money. So I had a bit of a giggle going, good purchase, guys. But you'd get home from school and you'd be watching shows like Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Angela Anaconda, that's a deep cut for all my people in the 90s right now, that's why they all went, yeah. And you'd get home from school and between the age of about, sorry, between the times of about 4.30 to 5.30, that was your TV watching time. Because at 6 o'clock the Channel 9 news would come on. And when the Channel 9 news came on, that was Dad's time. He had a couch, he'd walk in, he'd sit down and go, leave the room, boy. And you'd just go, that was it, TV time is over. <laughs> But there was another show that was also on another channel at 6pm as well. But we'll get to that at the moment. Now, as a child of the 90s raised in a Christian home, there were certain things that were an absolute lono in the Wakeland household. And anyone that's got kids my age will probably be able to relate to what I'm about to say. Harry Potter was an absolute no-no. Yes, someone just threw up a cross in the back like ward off that evil. If you put that on, my mum would simply just turn across to the room and give you the look and you know you'd made a mistake at that moment. Biker Mice from Mars was also banned in our household, as was Dragon Ball Z, as was Power Rangers, because my parents were afraid that their young son would turn into a lean, mean fighting machine watching the Power Rangers, because believe it or not, I was a good young child. But above all, there was one show in our household that was banned that if it came on, my mother would manifest from another room and appear and change the channel. And I can say that because she's currently working at the Austin Hospital right now. So if she listens to the podcast, I love you, Mum. I'm sorry for what's about to happen. But there was one show, one show that was a no-no. And 90s parents, you're about to please don't throw anything at me right now, but can we throw that next slide up, Jack? Yeah. <sighs> the Simpsons. Man, that came on the TV and mum would literally appear from nowhere, change the channel, give you the look and walk out of the room. The Simpsons has been running for 30 years this year, so it is older than me, but for some reason, my parents hated it. Mum thought it was the worst thing in the world and I thought, well, why did mum not like The Simpsons? It's pretty funny. It's good satire. It's like satire. It's really funny. But then I realised why mum hated it and it was one character in particular and all night his parents were about to, this is going to hit you right in the feels, Bart Simpson. Mum was afraid that I would become like the eternally 10-year-old Bart Simpson. I would talk back to my parents, I would not do my homework, and I would say such fun catchphrases as, don't have a cow, man, eat my shorts and I carumba. I've always wanted to say those things from the platform, so this is good, it's a good Sunday. And mum was afraid that, honestly, I would become like Bart Simpson. And as I thought about it, there's probably some merit to mum's thought pattern, actually. Because what mum had realised that I had not realised as a young child yet was this. Attitude is vitally important. Your attitude will determine the way people interact with you and how you interact with them. An attitude can be both a good thing and a negative thing. Those are the positive and friendly attitude. They're people you want to be around. But those with a combative and less than friendly attitude are often people we don't want to be around. Our attitude is important because it also often shows what's going on in our hearts. Our attitude can reflect the love, grace and power and forgiveness of Christ in our hearts or it can show people the exact opposite. Attitude is important and attitude is a choice. And this morning I wanted to pose this question. What is our attitude saying about the state of our hearts?
This has once again highlighted me over the last few weeks as I've wrestled with a passage of scripture that we're all going to explore today together. And it really reaffirmed to me how we make a choice of what our attitudes are. But before we go any further, I'd love to pray with you all this morning. Lord, thank you so much that we're here with our Uni Hill North family today. And I thank you for every single person in this room and their families they represent, Father. I pray the word as we come around reading your holy scripture today, Father, we dwell on it, we meditate on it, and we take something from it. And don't let it be the words of Geordie, Father, but let it be the words of you. We love you so much, Lord. Amen. So um, over the last couple of months, I've been making my way through First and Second Kings, and I've been reading about the life of Elijah and Elisha. I'm going to try not to get them wrong, but they are very close to one another. As I was reading some of the sermon to my wife yesterday, she goes, did you mean Elijah? Not Elijah. I went, oh, this is going to be a long Sunday. But Elijah is one of my favourite Bible characters. And if you want to know why, go read 2 Kings 2, 23 to 25. We're not going to camp there today, but if you want to know how much of a rebel he is, read that. But today I wanted to explore with all of you a 2 Kings 5, which is an incredible passage of scripture where we see a commander of an army healed and have a radical transformation. But we also see the attitude of a prophet's servant, Gehazi, explored. Now, as I was preparing and preparing this sermon and reading this passage of scripture, what stood out to me was all the different contrasts of characters in this chapter, and especially the contrasts in their attitudes. And this is what we're going to look at this morning, because what we're going to look at is a series of attitudes which reflect the characters' hearts. And perhaps this morning is not a bad time that we look at our own attitudes as well. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, let's turn them together to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. If you don't have your Bible, don't freak out. You don't need to get your smartphone out. We'll have it on the screen as well. So it's going to be a little bit of reading this morning, church, but who knows it's not a bad thing that we read God's Word together, yeah? Who knows it's not a bad thing? So let's go from verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favour, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valour but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord, would that my Lord with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking quarrel with me. In this passage, we're starting to see a few different characters emerge. And the one that I wanted to explore is actually a little girl who's been taken from her home in Israel. And my first point today is this. Do we have the attitude of a little girl? What would your attitude be if you'd been captured and taken away from your home, your parents and your loved ones? If it was me, my attitude would be less than a great one, I can tell you that. But here we see this little girl in service of the very man who probably ordered the raid that took her away from her family. And when we first read this on the surface, you would say, and I think we'd all agree, that this little girl has every right to be unhappy about the situation she finds herself in. She's been taken away from everyone she's ever loved and is now in service and in slavery to the Syrians. 
But as we see in verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What jumped out at me straight away is this. Is that little girl's attitude is in fact the exact opposite of what we would expect it to be. Here in the face of a pretty rubbish situation, she shows an attitude of care because she cared enough to speak up when she saw someone not well. And she shows an attitude of faith. And I don't know about us this morning, but I would love to have an attitude more like that. Imagine this. Imagine if when we find ourselves in a tough situation, like we lose a job, have a car accident or a breakdown of a situation, and notice that I said when, not if, but imagine, imagine if our attitude was not one of anger, disappointment, resentment or bitterness, but imagine if it was the opposite, one of care, one of understanding, one of joy in the midst of hard times, one of patience, one of faith, just like this little girl. Because what this little girl's attitude is showing is what's in her heart. And that truly is a profound thing. God used this little girl to begin a great miracle that would result in the healing of Naaman. But imagine what would have happened if her attitude was the opposite and she closed herself off. The little girl that we read in this passage of scripture made a choice. She made a choice to say, God, I trust you even in the situations I don't fully understand. And her attitude reflected that in the way she cared for people that had captured her. And in that moment, it actually reflected God's heart. I love that her faith was a choice. Notice in verse three how she doesn't say, the prophet who was in Samaria, he could cure him. No, she says the prophet was in Samaria, he would cure him. Do we have the attitude of a little girl that is one of care and faith? An attitude that says, God, I trust you in everything, even in things I don't understand. And I have faith in you, that you are the God that reigns over all the heavens and all the earth. And I have faith that you're in control of everything. I don't know about you, but I would love to have the attitude of a little girl. The second point that I wanted to explore this morning is this. Do we have the attitude of an army commander? 2 Kings 5, 9 to 14 reads, So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a message to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, that I thought he would surely come and wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farah and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored in the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When reading this passage of scripture, what we have to understand is that for the Syrian army commander to be standing in Samaria, which was the middle of Israel, is a big deal. Israel and Syria were not what you call buddy-buddy at this point in time. They'd been fighting each other on and off through First and Second Kings. Yet here was the commander of the Syrian army standing in the middle of Israel seeking the man of God. And what I love about it, what it paints to me, is that God can use any situation and transcend anything. On the surface, you would think that would be not how God would make his miracle unfold. But he did. 
And you know what I really love about that passage of Scripture? That same God's here with us today. He can transcend any situation, anything we see on the surface. He can use it. When we, in our eyes, go, this is impossible, God goes, no, it's possible. And what I also love is how Elijah responds to Naaman coming. So as I said, Elijah's one of my favourite Bible characters because what kind of man stands up an army commander? Like seriously, I love that literally this army commander rolls in high favour with a king and all that and he's probably used to a fair level of respect and Elijah doesn't even go out to the door. He either had a massive amount of faith or a lot of guts but either way I'm like, that's my boy, I identify with you. But I love the reason why he did this. The reason why Elijah didn't come to the door was he was humbling Naaman. He was humbling a proud man. And you know what? Humility can be hard. But who knows forced humility can be even harder. And sometimes we all need to, and I include myself in this, we need to have our attitudes humbled as well which can be hard, but it's often in those moments of humility that when we check our attitudes, we often check our hearts. Humility can often lead to a perspective shift that changes our attitude. Naaman was not only angry that he had essentially been stood up by Elijah, but he was also seen in verse 11 that he had a clear idea of how God was going to heal him of his leprosy. Surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands all over the place and cure the leper. And when this didn't happen, it crushed the expectation of how God should work. Unmet expectations could definitely draw a bad attitude out of us. How many times have we been to the movies, we paid 20 bucks for a ticket and then a further 80-something dollars for some popcorn and crispy M&Ms. <laughs> Side note, reading cinemas and epping, you're welcome. Game changer right there. We get into the cinema, we find our seat, we get comfy, the movie comes on and then it's not that good. Am I the only one that gets ticked off by that? Looking at you, Batman, Superman. It was real bad. But what we're doing is we're actually putting our expectations on that movie before it plays. And if we can take this a step further, we've done that with God sometimes. We put our expectations on and how he should work, how he should bring our miracle. And when he doesn't, we get angry at him. It's a hard word, I know, but it's true. I've done it and I'm sure I'm not the only one. And it's in those moments of anger that's actually what comes out of our hearts and is reflected in our attitudes. So I am so thankful for people like Naaman's servant as we see in verse 13. But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Just like we saw in the first point with the little girl, here is a humble servant displaying an attitude that we all should, an attitude of faithfulness and care. Imagine if the servants didn't say anything to Naaman and he went off angry and went all the way back to Syria. But the servants said something. They had faith that this prophet Elijah was a real deal and that his word was given to Naaman was from God. Once again, it would be so humbling to hear from your servants that, hey, perhaps you're wrong this time. But who's thankful for servants that are faithful and full of care? And I love we see Naaman's response in verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Naaman made a choice. He had a choice where he could have gone, you know what, 
How dare this prophet of God stand me up, tell me these things? Or he made a choice to say, you know what, I'm going to humble myself, put myself aside and see what this man has to say. By dipping himself in the Jordan River, Naaman is showing an attitude of obedience to the word of God. Attitude is a choice. And Naaman made his choice to obey the word of God. And as a result, he has an encounter with God that will forever change his life. And I love the mention of the little child in this verse who's talking about the flesh because it parallels the little girl back in verse two. That he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So now accept a present from your servant. Look at the transformation in his attitude from only a few verses ago. He returns to Elijah with an attitude of anger, sorry, with an attitude not of anger or arrogance, but of humility and gratitude. Something has changed inside of his heart after an encounter with our mighty Father in heaven. And his attitude reflects that change. God can change our attitudes and can change our hearts. And all it takes is an encounter and a relationship with him. I don't know where you're at today, but that same God that healed and encountered Naaman in the Jordan River is here with us today. And he can change your heart and your attitude if, you, if we just choose to humble ourselves and let him have a relationship with us. Do we have the attitude of an army commander? If so, do we have unmet expectations that we have placed on God that we need to give to him and humble ourselves before him so that we can have an attitude that reflects humility and gratitude? Before I move on past these few verses, I might take the opportunity to write Dan up in keys if I could, please. And as I was reading a few commentaries, I love the way that Pastor Russell H. Dilday summarises the miracle of one of the commentaries I was reading. And he summarised it like this. The simple method of this miracle, performed without the prophet there, did give God the credit. It was obvious that the healing came from Yahweh rather than the sort of magical incarnation that Naaman had anticipated. God and God alone is in control. The final point that I wanted to look at today is this. Do we have the attitude of a prophet's servant? In the Old Testament, prophets were God's spokespeople on earth. And to be a servant of those prophets was considered a great honour by the people of Israel. I mean, you literally got to roll around with a man of God, learn and be mentored. You literally got to walk in the presence of God. Gehazi, which is Elijah's servant, had seen the miracle of the widow's oil where God had filled pots upon pots so a widow wouldn't have to sell her children into slavery. He had seen God give the Shunammite woman a child and then he had seen that same God raise that same child. Serving Elijah and literally being in God's presence, you would think that Gehazi's attitude would have been perfect as on the surface he was walking so close with Elijah in the presence of God. And from all accounts, he was a pretty good servant, a hard worker. But let's look at his attitude in verse 15 to 27. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. It's name and speaking. So accept now a present from your servant. But Elijah says, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. So for now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. 
when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship, they're leaning on my arm and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God said, see my master has spared this name of the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariots to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just come to me two from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house and he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elijah said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. Firstly, what an attitude we see here displayed from Elijah when he refused to take a present from Naaman. Naaman's healing from God wasn't transactional. He wasn't healed so he would give something to the prophet. Naaman's healing was completely by God's grace and his love. And by refusing the present, Elijah is, is highlighting this to Naaman, who at this stage is only a new believer. Elijah's attitude is one of selflessness. It's not about him. It's about giving all glory to God who reigns above. There is so much more we could unpack only in that, and perhaps we will another time. But this morning, what I wanted to look at was the contrast of Gehazi, his servant's attitude. Verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian and not accepting from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something. Gehazi could not believe that Elijah had just declined to take something from Naaman, such a wealthy, influential and grateful man who was also a Syrian, the enemy of Israel. He couldn't fathom that God's mercy and grace was free for this man. And he felt that his master deserved a reward. Gehazi's attitude is one of greed, selfishness and deceit. It's heavy, I know, but look at this attitude. My master has done something, so he needs something. And if he won't accept it, someone should benefit from the opportunity. When I read that passage of Scripture, I thought, how could someone who's been walking so closely along with the prophet of God, seen miracles, walked in God's presence, how could he have missed the point? How could he have missed the point that it's not about us? It's about all glory to God. Had he not been taught this the whole time? And had Gehazi not seen those incredible and glorious miracles in his own eyes? Surely that would penetrate even the hardest of hearts and change any attitude. But one thing that jumped out at me was the temptation that Gehazi would have had seen what Naaman was offering Elijah as a gift. A talent was a measuring system that the Hebrew people used to use. In the New Testament, it's worth 60 kilos. 
in the Old Testament's worth 30 because it was based off the Babylonian system. So I thought, well, I wonder what 30 kilos of silver is worth. So it's two talents, he says, which is 60 in total. Approximately that is worth 30,000 US dollars today. How would you go if you were tempted with that? Elijah's attitude of unselfishness turned away the gift because it was not about him gaining something, but it was about God gaining the glory. Naaman's attitude here is wanting to bless Gehazi because look, when Gehazi asked for one, Naaman's attitude is told Chaz, going to bless you and give you two. Gehazi was tempted by his own greed and this opportunity had presented itself in front of him. And he chose to take the opportunity because as we said at the start, Attitude is a choice. Throughout this passage we've looked at today, we've seen the attitudes of servants be that of care and faithfulness as seen in both the little girl and Naaman's own servants. The little girl was a slave and her attitude was still one of care and faith. Naaman's servants were Gentiles and did not know God, yet they still displayed the attitude of care and faith. And in stark contrast, here is Gehazi, someone who has been walking with the prophet all this time who displays an attitude of the complete opposite to theirs. And when he returns from being off, Elijah confronts him and Gehazi knows what he has done wrong, so he lies. When he's asked, where have you been? He says, I've been nowhere. Reverend Dr. George Campbell Morgan sums it up like this. The deepest wrong in the action of Gehazi was that it involved the divine witness which had been born to the Syrian Naaman by the action of the little serving maid in his house and the prophet Elijah. Their actions had been wholly disinterested and were for the glory of God. The attitudes of the little servant girl and the servants and the prophet were not about getting something. It was about all glory to God. And as I close this morning, I wanted to pose this question. What are our attitudes saying about our hearts? Not what are our words, what are our attitudes? Does our attitude reflect one of genuine care for someone, even those people we don't particularly like? Does our attitude reflect one of faith where no matter what situation we find ourselves, we have faith in our Creator, our glorious Heavenly Father, and we trust Him in every situation even we don't understand? Does our attitude embody humility and putting others before ourselves? And does our attitude show the gratitude for God's glorious grace that is given to all of us and flowing from our hearts? Or does our attitude look like Gehazi's? Even though we're in the presence of God, we haven't allowed Him to change our hearts and change our attitudes and we are only walking in His presence and not experiencing it. Is Gehazi's story this morning the attitude check we need to allow God to begin to change us and give all glory to Him? And I simply wanted to finish this morning by asking everyone to stand. I know it's probably been a heavier word than you probably expected me to bring this morning, but I was so challenged by this passage of Scripture. Because when you read that, it highlights ourselves. When you read God's Word, you sit there and go, wow, what am I doing? And as I read about the prophet's servant, I thought, man, I would hate to be walking in God's presence 
but miss the point. I would hate to be experiencing this and never change it. I would hate to walk into this place and walk out the same. So I simply just wanted everyone to bow their heads just for a moment. I'm going to ask two questions as we wrap it up. If this has challenged you this morning, every head is bowed just for privacy and you feel, you know what, I need to realign my attitude a little bit this morning. I'd love for you to raise your hand because I'd love to pray for you. Awesome. Lord, I thank you for all the hands that just went up right now. And I pray, Father, this morning that we reflect your love and your grace in our attitudes. I pray we walk with attitudes of humility, attitudes of gratitude to you, Father, and we reflect faith and care even when situations around us are there. I pray that this is not only a change in our attitudes, but in our hearts as well, Father. And I pray this morning that we say to you, Lord, have your way in my heart. Change me, Father. Let me experience your presence. Let me know your presence. Let me not experience it and not be different, Father. Let me give all glory to you in everything that we do, Lord. We love you so much, Father. I want to ask you just to keep your heads bowed for a sec as well. Now, I never want to miss an opportunity to ask a question, so I'll get you to all keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. If you this morning want to have a relationship with Christ and you sit there and go, you know what? I want to give that a crack. I want my attitude to change. I want God to change every part of my life. I want to have an encounter like Naaman did. I'm simply going to pose a question and be brave and get you to put your hand up and I'd love to pray with you as well, if that's you. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you so much that we can come here and explore your word this morning, Father. I thank you that the same presence that healed Naaman and that same God still reigns in heaven, Father. I pray this morning that we take something from this word, Lord. We wrestle with it, we meditate on it, we grapple with it, Father. I pray everything that we do as a body, as a church and as a family brings glory to your heavenly and holy name. We thank you for everything you do in our lives, Lord. We thank you for everything you're going to do in our lives as well. We love you so much, Father. Let us go out this week, Lord. Show your glory. Show your grace in our words, our attitudes, and our heart. We love you so much, Father. Amen.